This is an echo from the past, a rerun, if you will. And in this way, new listeners can catch up and old listeners can think and ponder about the past and what has been and what could be and what could have been. This episode was released on the 18th of January 2015. And in this episode, my guest is sci-fi author Andy Weir. Most famous for writing the book The Martian, later made into a film by Ridley Scott. Uh, He's also known for his viral short story, The Egg. Enjoy! You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode 18 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, I will be talking to sci-fi author Andy Weir. He has recently published his first novel, The Martian, and Ridley Scott is making it into a movie as we speak. But it was not because of this that I first found out about Andy Weir. Instead, it was because of a little short story that he wrote called The Egg. And if you paid attention surfing the web, you might have come across this viral little tale. And if you haven't, or if you need to refresh your memory, I'll first play a recording of this story, after which we'll jump straight into my Skype talk with the author himself, Mr. Andy Weir. It was a car accident. Nothing particularly remarkable, but fatal nonetheless. You left behind a wife and two children. It was a painless death. The EMTs tried their best to save you, but to no avail. Your body was so utterly shattered that you were better off, trust me. And that's when you met me. What... what happened? Who asked? Where am I? You died, I said matter-of-factly. No point mincing words. There was a... a truck and... there was skidding. Yep, I said. I... I died? Yep. But don't feel bad about it. Everyone dies, I said. He looked around. There was nothingness. Just you and me. What is this place? You asked. Is this the afterlife? More or less, I said. Are you a god? You asked. Yep, I replied. I'm god. My kids. My wife. You said. What about them? Will they be alright? (laughs) That's what I like to see, I said. You just died, and your main concern is for your family. That's good stuff right there. You looked at me with fascination. To you, I didn't look like God. I just looked like some man. Some vague authority figure. More of a grammar school teacher than the Almighty. Don't worry, I said. They'll be fine. Your kids will remember you as perfect in every way. 
they didn't have time to grow contempt for you. Your wife will cry on the outside, but will be secretly relieved. To be fair, your marriage was falling apart. If it's any consolation, she'll feel very guilty for feeling relieved. Oh, you said. So what happens now? Do I go to heaven or hell or something? Neither, I said. You'll be reincarnated. Ah, you said. So the Hindus were right. Well, all the religions are right in their own way, I said. Walk with me. You followed along as we strolled in the void. Where are we going? Nowhere in particular, I said. It's just nice to walk while we talk. So what's the point then? You asked. When I get reborn, I'll just be a blank slate, right? A baby. So all my experiences and everything I did in this life, it won't matter. Not so, I said. You have within you all the knowledge and experiences of all your past lives. You just don't remember them right now. I stopped walking and took you by the shoulders. Your soul is more magnificent, beautiful, and gigantic than you can possibly imagine. A human mind can only contain a tiny fraction of what you are. It's like sticking your finger in a glass of water to see if it's hot or cold. You put a tiny part of yourself into the vessel, and when you bring it back out, you've gained all the experiences it had. You've been a human for the last 34 years, so you haven't stretched out yet and felt the rest of your immense consciousness. If we hung out here for longer, you'd start remembering everything. But there is no point doing that between each life. How many times have I been reincarnated then? Oh, lots. Lots and lots. And into lots of different lives, I said. This time around, you'll be a Chinese peasant girl in 540 AD. Wait, what? You stammered. You're sending me back in time? Well, I guess technically. Time as you know it only exists in your universe. Things are different where I come from. Where do you come from? You pondered. Oh, sure, I explained. I come from somewhere. Somewhere else. Then there are others like me. I know you'll want to know what it's like there, but you honestly won't understand. Oh, you said, a little let down. But wait, if I get reincarnated to other places in time, could I have interacted with myself at some point? Sure, happens all the time. And with both lives only aware of their own time span, you don't even know what's happening. So what's the point of it all? Seriously? I asked. Seriously. You're asking me for the meaning of life. Isn't that a little stereotypical? Well, it's a reasonable question, you persisted. I looked in your eyes. The meaning of life, the reason I made this whole universe, is for you to mature. You mean mankind? You want us to mature? No, just you. I made this whole universe for you. 
With each new life, you grow and mature and become a larger and greater intellect. Just me? What about everyone else? There is no one else, I said. In this universe, there is just you and me. You stared blankly at me. But all the people on Earth... All you. Different incarnations of you. Wait, I'm everyone? Now you're getting it, I said, with a congratulatory slap on the back. I'm every human who ever lived? Or who will ever live, yes. I'm Abraham Lincoln? And you're John Wilkes Booth, too, I added. I'm Hitler, you said, appalled. And you're the millions he killed. I'm Jesus. And you're everyone who followed him. You fell silent. Every time you victimized someone, I said, you were victimizing yourself. Every act of kindness you've done, you've done to yourself. Every happy and sad moment ever experienced by any human was, or will be, experienced by you. Why? You asked me. Why do all this? Because someday you will become like me. Because that's what you are. You're one of my kind. You're my child. Whoa. You said, incredulous. You mean I'm a god? No. Well, not yet. You're a fetus. You're still growing. Once you've lived every human life throughout all time, you will have grown enough to be born. So the whole universe, you said. It's just... An egg of sorts, I answered. Now, it's time for you to move on to your next life. And with that, I sent you on your way. Thank you for joining me, uh, Andy. Thanks for having me. Where are you at? I'm in California. I'm in the Bay Area, not far from San Francisco. Okay. Well, the the reason I contacted you to be on this podcast was because I stumbled across your uh, short story, The Egg. But uh, this is not the only thing you've done, of course. You've written many stories and, and novels as well, I guess. So just... Uh, Tell tell uh, tell us about yourself, what, what about your work, and what you're you're doing right now. Um, well, I'm probably best known for my book, The Martian, which is about an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars. Um, it's it uh, that came out um, in February of this year, and uh, now they're making a movie out of it, and it's being filmed in Budapest right now. And it stars Matt Damon, and it's uh, being directed by Ridley Scott. And uh, so it should be a really good movie, and I'm looking forward to it. It comes out in about a year. Um, the Martian is my only published book. Uh, everything else is just short stories that I posted to my website. So how did you get uh, get The Martian published? Um, 
<clears throat> it started out as a serial that I posted to my website, one chapter at a time. Um, and when I finished, uh, I thought I thought that was that, and I moved on to writing other stories. But some readers emailed me and said, I don't like reading this in a browser. Can you post it for an e-reader? Can you make it in an e-reader format that I can put on my e-reader? So I did that. And then they... Um, then other people said, oh, thanks, I'm, I'm glad it's in an e-reader format, but I don't know how to download stuff from the internet and put it on my e-reader. I, I don't know how to do that. Can you put it up on Kindle, Amazon Kindle, and so that I can just download it that way? So I, I did that. I posted it to Kindle. Amazon doesn't let you give stuff away for free. Uh, you have to charge at least 99 cents, and they get a cut of it. This is how they make their money. So... I had to charge 99 cents. And so I said, okay, if you want if you want to read it for free, you can read it here at my website. If you want an e-reader version, you can download it for free from my website. If you don't know how to do that, you can pay Amazon 99 cents, which was the minimum price that they would allow, 99 cents, and they'll put it on your Kindle for you. And more people bought it from Kindle than downloaded it for free. So people... people were really they were willing to pay a dollar for the convenience and then it started working its way up the top sellers lists in Amazon and then that got the attention of Random House um, which uh, is a major American book publisher and they they contacted me and said they wanted to make a print print edition I'm uh, happy it worked that way because I'm a believer in uh, giving things away for free can actually pay the bills <laughs> so it certainly did for me it did it worked out great. It's a good example. Um, so are you excited about when they contacted you to make a movie of this book? Oh, yes. Very excited. And it was the same week that I got the, the print deal from Random House. So that was a very that was a very exciting week. Well, Hollywood tends to be quick because, you know, I, I know they they buy the rights of books even though they're not planning to make a movie. They just, they just buy them all just in case, you know. And, and sometimes it's 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 cheap to just buy a bunch of them and then figure out later if they want to do something. Right. Uh, it it has to do with how um, movie options work. When they when they buy the rights to a book to make into a movie, they don't actually give you very much money at first. The contract is set up such that they give you a little bit of money right now, and then if they make the movie, then they give you a whole bunch of movie, uh, a whole a whole bunch of money. Mm. But if they don't make the movie, they have they have 18 months or two years. It depends on the contract. In my case, it was 18 months. But they have a certain amount of time to make the movie or actually they have a certain amount of time to uh, buy the rights from you, which means giving you the large amount of money. Uh, if they don't do it within 18 months, then the rights come back to me and the contract is over and I can go sell it to somebody else. Um, so it's it's easy for them to get the book rights to lots of books because they don't have to pay money. They don't have to pay much money unless they actually make a movie. Mm. And what, what's, what's stopping them from just stealing the idea, moving it to Venus and, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but it's not, it's not worth their trouble, right? Mm. It's, it's so much it, for them. The amount of money to get the option is so it's such a small amount of money to a movie studio, right? Mm. A movie studio will spend, 
you know, $150 million to make a movie. They don't mind throwing a few thousand dollars at an author to secure the movie rights. Yeah, so aspiring scriptwriters and that, they don't have to be nervous sending their scripts to Hollywood. Uh, well, y you should definitely, you should definitely, um, uh, you need to be able to prove you wrote it, to, you know, yeah. to keep someone else from stealing the whole idea from you. But if you just... If you just send a copy to the U.S. Copyright Office or whatever country you're in, you'll have a copyright office. You can uh, send it there, or you can even all you have to do is be able to prove that you wrote it. So you can mail a copy to yourself and put the postage along the seal of the envelope, so that your post office, your postal service, will will stamp it across the seal of the envelope, and then you can prove in a court. You say, well, here's a sealed envelope, and here is you can see the postmark. So that that shows the date, and inside is a copy of the the thing I wrote. You just need to be able to prove that you wrote it. Yeah. And um, do you have any, th or are you allowed to have any say in uh, in in the script that for this movie? So the screenplay was written by Drew Goddard, who's a he's a veteran. He he wrote uh, Cloverfield. He wrote a bunch of episodes of Lost and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and he also uh, he directed Cabin in the Woods. Um, he wrote a really good screenplay. They gave it to me just to get my opinions, but I have no say. I, I have no authority. Mm -hmm. They can ignore anything I say. They were, they worked with me just because they decided to, but they didn't have to. Were you satisfied or horrified? Oh, or I'm very happy with the screenplay. I think it's going to be a great movie. Do you have any uh, any influences? Uh, yes, old uh, the old science fiction writers of the 1950s and 1960s. So Robert Heinlein, Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov. Those are the those are the writers that the, 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 their books are the books that I read when I was a child, and I grew up reading those because my 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 dad had a big collection of science fiction books from when he was a kid. So that's why I. I grew up reading these sci-fi books from the 50s and 60s and 70s. What about uh, Ray Bradbury or Philip K. Dick? I like Bradbury a little bit. I, I don't think I've read that much of Philip K. Dick. This uh, short story, The Egg, you wrote, um, was was this viral thing happening on, on online uh, something that happened overnight or did you just notice it slowly over time? Or? Uh, it I, I I guess slowly over time it I wrote it I wrote the whole story start to finish in 40 minutes. I didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. It was just an idea I had. I wrote it and then I posted it online and then I moved on with life. Um at the time uh I didn't get much feedback. Some people said, "Oh, that was neat." And that was it. But then slowly over time it started making the rounds on the internet. I think people like it because it's very short. And it makes you stop and think and go, huh? And um, I think you, if you want if you want people on the internet to like a short story you wrote, it has to be very short. Mm. Like it has, they have to be able to read it in five minutes or less. I think. And I think that's I didn't do that on purpose. It's just the way it worked out. But uh, I think the egg is about the right length of story for the internet. Kind of people yeah. put it in their blogs and post it around and and link it to each other and tweets and stuff. How did you get the idea? Um, I just wanted to come up with a system where it turns out life is fair. <laughs> and because, you know, we all grow up knowing that life isn't fair. But 
I wanted to see, well, what if it was fair? What if there was a reckoning? What if there was, you know, what if it turns out that that everybody's even in the end? And that's what I came up with. I'm like, well, if you live every life throughout all time, then, you know, you, <laughs> you're it. Everything you ever did, you did to yourself. Mm. And the, the interesting thing, and also the reason why I think it became viral, is that it, there's a big chance... Uh, it's true. <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't personally believe in the that ideology. It was just a story. Yeah, but that's what I think. Uh, many people, why many people enjoyed it because it 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 fits well into many different kinds of ideologies and philosophies and things like this. And even the you know the we're all one concept and all this. It fits into that as well. Yeah, I occasionally get emails from people who, uh, you know, I, I, I think they, they believe it. They say, like, yes, I, I think this is how it actually is. And I don't, I don't know what to say to them other than I, I, I don't believe that. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a story that I wrote. I also wrote a story about a mermaid. That doesn't mean I believe in mermaids. No. No, but sometimes, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember the exact quote. Truth is stranger than fiction. Oh, yeah, that's it, yeah. 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 <laughs> Who knows? Maybe you wrote the new Bible. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I, I I don't believe it's true. You know, no. the people who wrote the Bible did believe that that was true. <laughs> uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe not. I don't know. So, uh, are you working on a, on a sequel or a or a, or a different story, novel, or anything now? Yeah, I'm working on my next book now. It's a traditional science fiction, good old fashioned. It's aliens and spaceships and stuff like that. Do you already have a deal to get it published, or are you looking? Yeah, I'm. I'm writing it for Random House. I already have a. We already have a contract, and I have a deadline. So this is the first time for me. I, the first time I'm writing a book professionally, like from start to finish. I have to. I have to finish the first draft by by a specific deadline. And if I don't, then I'm violating my contract. How, how does that feel compared to how you were writing before? Well, it's it's. It's it's stressful for sure because now I have an actual deadline. When I was writing before, it was just my hobby. I could just stop at any time. I di I didn't even have to continue a story if I didn't think it was any good. I could just walk away. But now I can't. However, it also means that I got to quit my day job. I was a computer programmer for my whole career. I was 25 years as a computer programmer, and I just quit that job in April to go full time on the writing. So. Instead of having work stress about, you know, computer programming, I now have work stress about writing. I Overall, I'd say my life has improved. I like writing more than I like programming computers. So it's a good step. But it's not easy. It's not just, um, I, I, I can't just do whatever I want. I have to, I have to buckle down and work. I have to, I have to write when I don't feel like writing and stuff like that. Uh, were you an inspiring author or were you just doing it as a hobby and it took off? Um, uh, well, both, I guess, because all my life I wanted to be a writer, even when I was a teenager, all through college. But I, wa I didn't want to take the chance. It's a very difficult world to break into. And so I was a computer programmer and I would just write as a hobby. Um, when I was in my late 20s, so I I'm 42 right now. When I was in my late 20s, 
I I got laid off from AOL, America Online. I worked there. I got laid off and I got a good severance package. And so I was able to spend some, I, I spent three years without a job on purpose so that I could try to write a book and get it published. And I wrote a book, not The Martian, a different book, and I couldn't get it published. I couldn't get a literary agent. I just, the usual story that writers encounter. And so I gave up and said, well, I tried. Now I'm going to go back to computer programming. And from now on, when I write, it'll just be for fun. And so by the time I wrote The Martian, I thought I was just writing for fun as a hobby. But then it got popular and, uh, and I got a book deal and they're making a movie. And so now it's my job. Do you have an agent now? I do, yes. How is that like for people who don't have an agent? Uh, it's great because um, the agent has contacts all over the publishing industry. Um, he makes sure that your contracts are uh, fair to you and that, that, that nothing sneaky in the contract is there that's bad for you. Um, and when publishers are talking to an agent, they know that the agent knows what he's doing, right? So a publisher uh, has to... Basically, you'll you'll get more money for your manuscript if you have an agent, because the publisher knows that the agent knows other publishers. So, if one publisher says no, they know that, or, or doesn't offer very much, they know another publisher might come in and and make a better offer. So, it 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 drives up the money that you get. The main thing is an agent an agent protects you. He's always on your side, always. So. You send him every contract, every everything that um, that you that you need to sign, anything business related, and he'll check it over and he'll read it very carefully and he'll say, yes, this is good to sign, or no, this is a mistake, or ask them to change this part, that sort of thing. Hmm. What do you think about this? There's been this discussion in the literary world that this quality of the written language has decreased, but they've still created blockbuster books now i'm referring to of course like the twilight and the 50 shades of gray and and this type of books do you have any thoughts on this um i'm i i don't i i don't think there's anything um pure or noble or i don't know how to put it i don't think there's anything holy about the language <laughs> it's just a way of conveying thoughts and ideas and um, I don't think there's anything special about the way books used to be written. I think whatever people enjoy reading is good to publish. So I guess I, I don't have any problem with books like Twilight or Fifty Shades of Grey. These are books that people are reading and they're enjoying. And that's the purpose of a book is for you to enjoy yourself while you read it, right? So... If that's what does it, see me. I'm not. I I, I don't enjoy either of those books. <laughs> those two are not not the kinds of books that I enjoy. But if millions of people read them and have fun and it improves their lives for a few hours and gives them them entertainment, then why not? It's it's also funny how like the books or the authors who win the Nobel Prize is usually people you never heard of. <laughs> yeah, the Nobel Prize for literature. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, because, well, the Nobel Prize is very different. See, my my view is that books are for entertainment, that they're just for you to have fun, whereas the Nobel Prize for Literature are usually to try to find books that try that enrich humanity or that, that helped 
bring about social change or something like that. And um, although that's important, I don't care about those kinds of books. I just I just want to have fun when I read a book. That's why I read books. What are your feelings about because you know uh, with the internet and computers and everything that that uh, books will vanish, or do you think that people always have this need to have this paper in your hand? Oh, I don't know. I think I think there's a good chance that you know maybe traditional print books are going to go to going to be less and less common. Yeah, you know? just kind of like what happened with email versus postal mail. It's always going to they're always going to be around, but I think the more casual books, especially things like paperbacks, I think that's going to move to e-readers. But that's fine. That just means the publishing industry is going to change to suit it, and writers are going to continue to write. You're just going to read it in a slightly different format. Mm might be cheaper for them also to give uh, newcomers a chance. Uh, yes. I mean, well, also self-publishing now, the, the world of self-publishing, doesn't, it doesn't require you to risk any money now. You just post your, post your book up on Kindle or Barnes & Noble or any of a number of other services and see if people like it. You don't have, uh, you don't have to, like... Nobody has to take a financial risk. You don't need to physically print up a bunch of copies of the book and then hope it sells. Yeah. Are you uh, are you going to visit uh, the the film set or are you staying away? Um I I could. They invited me, but it's in Budapest and that's really far away and I I don't like flying. So I will probably not go. Maybe you can uh, visit the pickup shots in Hollywood instead. Yeah, I don't think they're I don't think they're doing any filming in the U.S. at all. It's uh, it has to do with taxes. If you film completely overseas, you don't get any. Uh, you don't. Yeah, I don't know. If you film part of it in America, then you have to pay a whole bunch of extra taxes and stuff. And uh, Hungary, the country of Hungary, gives special tax breaks for filming movies there. But California, shouldn't they like have zero tax for making movies, considering it's the mecca? Yeah, but um, taxes in taxes in California are very high compared to other states in America, and um, also they just they saw they saw revenue, they saw an opportunity to make money, so they just started taxing more and more stuff related to movie making. So now, almost no movies are made in America. Now they're usually made. Um, in other countries they go to canada a lot they'll go if you ever see if you ever see a city in an american movie that city is usually vancouver it must be weird for people who live in vancouver to watch movies yeah and say like here we are in you know here we are in new york city and you see the city and you're like no that's that's vancouver <laughs> so uh, are you planning on also doing scripts or are you sticking to novels uh, well, my, my main focus is novels, but um, I'm, I'm trying to poke my head into writing screenplays. I may give it a try, but I, I have an actual contract with a deadline to write a novel, so that has to be my focus at the moment. But um, I have an idea for a TV show that I want to pitch, and uh, so I'd need to write a, a pilot or a screenplay to try to pitch it. And so I might, I might give that a try. But it's all new. I've literally, I have never written a screenplay ever. Okay, so um, do you have any, um, if people want to get your books or if you have a website or where can they find all this? Yeah, you could probably, they could probably go to andyweirauthor.com. Another thing you, they can do, um, I, could, I could say it, but, it uh, but it's a long URL. It's 
galactonet.com slash writing, and then no one knows how to spell it. So you could just Google for Andy Weir writing. And uh, when is the movie out? Do you know? Uh, the movie comes out November 25th, 2015. Cool. Okay, so thanks a lot for uh, talking to me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I will be posting various links related to this episode in the program notes on www.naturalbornalchemist.com. Now let's close this episode with an a cappella cover song by Smooth McGroove called Super Mario Bros. 2 Overworld Theme. Freedom is in the mind. <laughs> Bye.